Renovating the Rotunda Speaker, Mr. Jody Lahendro, Supervisory, Historic Preservation Architect. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. Um, and, and just to show my true, my colors, um, I hope you all will be joining me in sending good thoughts to the UVA baseball team, who's starting about right now. I'm doing my part with my lucky tie, uh, baseball tie, so, uh, and I wore it yesterday, and they won yesterday, so we'll see how they do today. Um, thank you to the engagement and to reunions for uh, this opportunity to share with you the Rotunda work. Um, I gave a talk a year ago for reunions, and there it was a scripted talk, and it was about all the work to come. Um, this year, I'm going to do something um, uh, 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 risky and speak off the cuff. I'm going to let the images take me. Uh, we're mostly going to have a virtual tour of the construction that has been going on for a year now, um, about halfway through the construction project. Um, and uh, it will go up to yesterday when I was overtaking a number of these images that you'll be seeing. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit at the, uh, uh, during this about the work that's going to be coming up over the next year. Um, I'm going to start, though, with a very quick, brief history of the rotunda, just to sort of remind you all of the, uh, term, term, of the troubled past of the uh, rotunda, um, and then tell you something about the scope of work that we hope to achieve and will achieve during this uh, renovation project. Um, and tumultuous was the word I was trying to, to say, think of, um, and certainly the 1895 fire uh, that on October 27th of that year uh, was the beginning of that. Uh, the fire started, uh, it's thought that the fire started uh, with the streetcar uh, system in University Avenue that um, sent a surge to the electrical system in the annex and where a spark started and then the fire spread from the annex to the rotunda. Um, all that was left of the rotunda after that fire that was Jefferson's and is Jefferson's is the red, the exterior drum of the building, the brick drum of the building itself and the ground level uh, brickwork of the walls. Um, after the fire, McKinney and White, a firm out of uh, New York City, were called in to reconstruct the rotunda. Uh, Stanford White called, termed it a restoration. It was not quite a restoration, and I forgot to push the button. Okay. <sighs> Sorry. Um, thank you, Nicholas. Uh, and this is a view, of course, after the 1895 uh, reconstruction, completed in 97, uh, a view that Jefferson never would have recognized. Um, it's from university. Uh, as a result of that reconstruction, McKinney and White, at, mostly at the direction of the BOV, added several things to the rotunda. For instance, the portico on the north side facing University Avenue, uh, the, the wings, the north wings, left and right, the stair coming down, this monumental uh, procession up to it from university was, was not there. This was the backyard of Thomas Jefferson's rotunda. Um, uh, the, the, you also, curiously, you'll see in here, the, look at the marble 
capitals on the portico columns. Um, they're just blocks of stone. They ran out of money. They couldn't carve this, the capitals at that time. Um, it wasn't until 1902 that a gentleman named Williams out of Richmond donated the money to have the capitals carved in situ. In the late 1930s, Mikilski, Stanislaus Mikilski, a, a professor at the architecture school here, um, headed up a project to replace the concrete terrace uh, flooring as well as the balustrades. They were concrete and McKinley White's work because, again, an inexpensive material. It did not hold up. Um, so they were all replaced with marble features uh, in the late 1930s. Also at this time, Mikilski uh, converted the wings from classrooms to offices. And you can see Mikilski's work uh, in green, uh, left and right. This doesn't show all the wings, but that was uh, primarily where a lot of his work happened. Uh, this also shows you the McKimmean white uh, in light tan. The two porticos are their uh, construction, as well as the Guastavino uh, uh, dome roof. Uh, Jefferson's was wood, and of course it uh, disappeared in the fire. Uh, McKinmean White did do something unusual. The library of Jefferson that was in the dome room uh, had expanded quite a bit uh, since uh, his time, and so by the time of the reconstruction in 97, uh, we need, they needed more space. So they left out the floor of the dome, what is now the dome room, and they had a monumental three-story space that went up from the main level all the way up to the underside of the dome. A very Beaux-Arts, um, uh, 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 elegant, uh, grand space. Uh, but when the library moved um, to Alderman in the late 1930s, they had some trouble trying to figure out what to do with this grand, elegant, monumental space. Uh, flower shows were one thing. Um, they would hold dinners here. They would hold um, uh, other events, uh, small events. But it was a struggle trying to find purpose for this very large room. In the late 1950s, then, a movement started uh, to, to, um, to happen to want to restore Jefferson's interior back. Um, and the result of that was then the mid-1970s, uh, restoration, quote-unquote, of Jefferson's interior. Uh, as you can tell in the picture of the right, uh, they removed everything of McKinmean White. It was a uh, gut project. Uh, they still left the, um, the, masonry, the brick walls of Jefferson's uh, uh, ground level, um, but then everything else was removed, and somewhat gleefully. Um, <laughs> and you see here the... Um, in blue is the work of 1976, Baloo and Justice, uh, and all that they put in. This is the level they put back in McKinney White's time. That floor was not there, and the main level of the, that monumental library was here and vaulted all the way up. And this is, of course, the uh, restored uh, dome room after 1976. Uh, this, I hope, will, will demonstrate something of the changes to the rotunda. Uh, this is the lawn down here at the bottom, University Avenue up here. This is Jefferson's original rotunda. 
two south wings, the portico, the grand stairs going to the lawn, and then the drum of the building itself. Uh, after the fire of 1895, the north portico was added, uh, as well as the north wings facing university. Uh, colonnades were used to connect the wings together and create these garden spaces in between. Uh, the terrace was uh, installed at that time um, and then later on embellished to create a, a grand monumental uh, 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 vision from University Avenue. Uh, the original rotunda, the ground level on the left, had uh, a chemistry laboratory in the east oval room, chemistry lecture room in the, in the west oval room, chemistry support space in the north oval. On the main level was a uh, museum of natural history uh, and then a multi-purpose space, spaces in the two on the left, uh, west and north oval rooms. And then, of course, the library in the dome room itself. So um, the preparations for what is now going on actually started more than 10 years ago with uh, the uh, uh, retaining uh, John G. Wade Associates to do a historic structure report. Uh, chronic problems were occurring um, more than what could be handled by normal maintenance. Um, and so thus, uh, the Historic Structure Report is our first, um, uh, 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 the first thing we do to understand the building and understand the condition problems in the building and develop recommendations to budgets. All of that was established about uh, 10 to 8 years ago. Um, but the university did not have the money to do the entire project at that time, uh, estimated at almost $51 million dollars. But uh, there was active damage going on to the building because of the leakage. Uh, so that portion of the project was, um, was separated out and done first. The replacement of the roof, uh, which started in uh, the construction started in May of 2012 and completed a, a little over uh, two, two years or a little over two years ago. Um, and it was a not only replacing the copper roofing, the roofing material itself, but also quite extensive in terms of repairing uh, attention rings that were found to have been damaged uh, by our probes, uh, exposing them, taking off the bottom steps, uh, and then coating, repairing and coating them, putting on a wooden substrate system that allowed the roofing to ventilate um, that there are, there's a system of ventilation slots uh, underneath then this uh, roofing, the copper roofing that went on. Uh, one of the problems with the roof that was there in that they put it in 1976 is that it did not breathe from the backside and started rusting uh, almost immediately. Um, in addition to the roofing, we also did repairs to the brickwork in the drum of the building, uh, Jefferson's drum. Um, and as well, we took out all the windows, sent them off site to be repaired, uh, and then put, brought them back and, and re-roped, uh, re uh, 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 um, wired actually, um, and then put back into place. 
We also took off the ornamental sheet metal around the windows uh, and repaired those. Many people think when they look at the rotunda that this uh, white ornament on the outside is woodwork uh, painted white. Indeed, it's not. It's all copper. Uh, as uh, the Board of Visitors required McKinney White after the 95 fire, the building had to be fireproofed. So to accomplish that, uh, one of the ways they did it, of course, was the Wasavino tile roof dome system. Um, and, and the roofing systems for the porticos are all done out of steel and tile. Um, all the exterior ornament is this copper sheets that are pressed to take the form of the um, molding. Um, and they were in very uh, uh, bad shape uh, with lots of um, uh, damage. Uh, they were removed. They were taken to a shop in, in Manassas, American Stripping Company, that did uh, strip the paint off and then did repairs uh, and then primed and painted, brought back to the site, and then reassembled on the site. Um, this gives you some idea of the damage of the architrave. About the 50, 1950s or 60s, uh, uh, the paint was taken off, and the way they did it was to take their five-in-one tool and beat the hell out of the, the architrave uh, to make the paint pop. Um, and this shows um, the difference between before and after, after our repairs to, to, um, uh, to make improvements to that. Um, the project was completed, uh, like I said, uh, uh, almost two years ago, and uh, over 4,000 sheets of copper were used in the roof project. Uh, every one of them uh, cut indiv individually, uniquely for that position that it placed. Um, uh, six tons is the weight of all the copper that went on the roof. So this next phase, uh, planning was already underway during the first phase for this next phase. This, is, uh, this next phase is just termed the renovations. This is all the remaining work of the rotunda, uh, that has to be done to the rotunda. We have several different objectives for this work. To finish the exterior repairs, this is mostly in the wings where a lot of the damage uh, still exists. Uh, replace the elevator. This is the existing elevator within the rotunda that is notorious for breaking down. Um, replace the building systems. Uh, a, a simple statement, but actually uh, probably, well, it is about half of the construction costs of this project replacing mechanical, electrical plumbing systems, uh, data systems, security systems, sprinkler systems, AV systems. Um, all of that is being updated uh, in, in the re and replaced in the rotunda. Um, increasing the usage of the building. This is really the, the heart of, of and, and the, the emotion of, for us who are the managing the work. Um, this is the real... Um, uh, uh, driving force for what we're doing. Um, it's a shame that over the last half century, there are many students who graduated from the university and never set foot in the rotunda. Um, we want to change that, and uh, I hope you'll see that um, we have, uh, that you'll agree with the plans we have for, for doing that. Uh, and then lastly, to improve the landscape. Uh, just briefly, going through some of these, uh, the, the repairs, You'll see the damage, spalling stucco uh, elements, uh, the brick damage eroded uh, 
uh, joints and, and spalling brick units, uh, the staining uh, on the balustrades and the, on the, the wings, the cornices of the building itself, the upper and low, lower cornice, we were supposed to have repaired those during the phase one work. We opened them up with probes and found out that there was so much damage to the actual structural framework holding them in place that we simply patched them back together again and deferred that work till this phase. Uh, the elevator. Um, the elevator was installed in 1976. Uh, the existing elevator, to get to it at the ground level, a guide has to take, escort you outside in the cryptoporticus with a key, unlock a door, and let you into the elevator down there. On the main level, the uh, access is through a vestibule that goes to the Board of Visitors room. Uh, it's not the most convenient thing in the world. We are enlarging the elevator uh, slightly and then creating a vestibule that is accessible off of the center uh, hallway so that you'll, anyone can have access to the elevator uh, any time of the day uh, without having um, special permission or a key. Uh, the systems that were put in in 1976 were shoehorned into existing spaces. Um, as a result, they're very rudimentary systems that are inefficient, uh, wasteful of energy, and don't work well, um, as, a, as a, uh, uh, demonstrated by the mold growth on the ceilings in the dome room. They also do not, any of them comply with code uh, with the access that you need around them to be able to work and maintain them. Uh, we looked at many ways of trying to find additional space for mechanical systems, the kind of mechanical systems that this building needed and deserved. Um, we studied many different options. The one we settled on was to create an underground mechanical vault room uh, in the east courtyard. This, of course, is Jefferson's main drum, and this is the outside east courtyard and west courtyard. Uh, this is an underground room that uh, we have constructed. Uh, it will also have a small catering space. Um, we are also lowering the floor in the east oval room to create a mechanical space below that floor. Um, part of the system here is that these spaces will be linked by a tunnel that will go to a new elevator and stair in the um, parking area that is just east of the rotunda and just north of Pavilion 2. Right now, that's a catering parking area. It'll continue to be a catering parking area. At the other end of the tunnel, this is the existing elevator, which we are replacing. We're also going to take it down to this lower sub-basement level. Um, and the uh, concept is that catering coming in will unload into the elevator go down to the tunnel, will set their racks, plug them in, to, um, uh, in, the, in their little catering room and be able to keep them warm. Uh, and then when needed, we'll be able to go to the elevator and come up to the dome room uh, or the, the main level if, if that's where uh, the dinners will be. Um, the university in the, do in the dome room has as many as 150 events a year. Um, it's a very well-used ceremonial space that's very important to the university uh, in many ways, 
and uh, we, we had to acknowledge that uh, it, was, it needed support. This is a, a, a rendering of what that elevator will look like um, east of the uh, rotunda, and this is Pavilion 2 in the backdrop, and this is the catering parking area that exists there today. Um, for improving the uses, uh, usage of the building, uh, we want to open up the South Portico door, uh, increase the classroom and study usage by students, enlarge the restrooms, update visitor center in the dome room, replacing the metal ceiling panels, and open up the lower gallery for use for the first time, and then increase and enhance the service support spaces, for instance, for, the, um, uh, for catering. Uh, right now, uh, well, until a year before our construction began, you would come up the south portico from the lawn, go exactly where the architecture tells you to go and how you're going to be welcomed to this building, and then be faced with glass doors that uh, would not open, um, and then be sent down to the lower level, ground level, and have to come up through the, the, the guts of the building. Um, we did a trial period for a year ahead of the current construction. It was very successful. More, uh, as many as 70% of the people visiting the rotunda came up this way. So it is going to be um, uh, fixed uh, into in the new work. Um, and that will be the entrance to the rotunda. We'll all still have the entrance through the, the, the ground level also. Uh, on the main level, things like the presidential reception room that had a, a nice velvet rope and you looked in and, and admired the antiques, um, that will be converted to a meeting room. We're going to put it to, to function. Um, it'll have student, uh, staff, and, and uh, administrative uses. Um, we want to get classrooms into the rotunda. I'll show you that shortly in the dome room. Uh, this gallery has never been open to the public. We are adding a stair and having it now open. Uh, we are going to outfit it with tables and chairs uh, and hope it becomes a, an attractive study space for students. Hours for the rotunda are going to be expanded so that students can use it for study uh, uh, at night, uh, into the uh, late night and early morning. Um, and the default setup of furniture in the dome room itself will not no longer be the, the lining up of chairs ready for a lecture, but there are going to be tables and chairs spread around uh, for use by students in studying. Uh, the, this is what catering had for their support uh, prior to our current work. They took a couple of bays in the dome room to stack and store their items. They would plate uh, dinners behind this uh, uh, folding curtain, uh, which is next to the trash cans, um, for the lower level. And this is the only catering space that was given to them uh, about seven feet wide and 15 feet long underneath the south stair uh, that they, all they used it for was uh, storage. The classrooms. So we are going to have three permanent classrooms uh, built into the rotunda with all the uh, modern AV systems uh, that our classrooms have these days. Uh, one of them will be in the lower west oval room. Uh, and then originally, the two south wings uh, 
were scheduled to continue to have office use as they did prior to this construction project. But uh, after we finished contract documents and started to the construction, the administration changed its mind um, and, uh, and wonderfully has decided to uh, take these office spaces, put them elsewhere on grounds, and convert the two south wings to student use. Uh, two classrooms in the southeast wing, and then in the southwest wing, a multi-purpose space that can be used for students, for faculty, for administration. Um, we are also uh, combining this space. One of the reasons why it's over here is that the courtyard we're going to be re, uh, uh, designed, that has been designed for the west courtyard, um, that, is be design, that is designed as an open area for uh, a lot of open paving with trees and a fountain eventually. Um, and it's thought of as an area for receptions uh, and for outside events. And we are creating uh, French doors in between the multi-purpose room and that outside space so that thing combined events can, can happen between the two spaces. Uh, for the landscape improvements, this is the overall um, North Terrace and, of course, the two uh, uh, courtyard gardens. For the North Terrace, right now, of course, it's the, the Jefferson statue in the center, uh, brick around it, and then lawns uh, around the flagpoles and steps down. Um, that has been reconceived, designed by Olin uh, Landscape Architects, uh, a winner of the Jefferson Medal here at the university. Um, to create a couple of outside spaces, outside rooms, with low uh, trees, tree shrubs, uh, and planters um, that will have then benches around them, the Jefferson statue here, the, the uh, uh, flagpoles uh, flanking that statue, um, and this will become a more inviting and a sort of destination space in itself, a uh, place to sit. Uh, for the two courtyard gardens, the east garden is uh, being on the east side and having a lot of shade from the large trees is, thought, is conceived to be a more contemplative morning kind of space uh, with benches. There will be a fountain in the center of it um, and it will be a quiet space for, for reading the paper, meeting friends uh, and, and starting the day. Uh, the West Garden, as I've already said, is thought of as being more of a reception, open area, still with trees to give it um, uh, uh, context, but a, a, uh, a, a, a more of an opportunity to, to have congregated uh, events. So um, that shows you what our plans are and what the objectives are for the work. Um, we got to get started uh, in preparation of that, there were a couple things we had to do. Uh, during the research phase for the uh, renovations, uh, our architects, uh, John G. Wade Associates, uh, discovered by sticking their head into these little openings that were created in 1976, they found some fireboxes uh, at that time and, and had them uh, displayed. Uh, sticking its head in here and looking up and around discovered, in fact, an entire chemical niche. A hearth, it was called a chemical hearth, is a niche. It was created by the first professor of natural 
uh, hist natural history here, um, Dr. Emmett, um, who taught chemistry, uh, as well as many other subjects. Uh, we have hired a firm to go back now and study the records, and they've discovered incredible uh, information. For instance, this is a hand-sketched uh, uh, sheet from Dr. Emmett uh, describing the materials, the chemical materials he's purchased in, in New York um, and writing back to, I think, Brock and Bro. Um, it's an extraordinary, uh, uh, the, the, the outline, this, this shows you the outline of the original and there's an arched opening and it goes to here. Uh, I think this diagram shows it uh, best here. There are five different apertures for conducting a, a chemical experiments. Uh, the two fire boxes that were displayed were really for heating the coals and the wood that were then transferred to these apertures for conducting the experiments. Um, a very sophisticated system of underground tunnels to get, bring fresh air from outside to the fireboxes, and then flues constructed into the walls to take away the, um, uh, the, 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 the fire exhaust, uh, uh, but also at the top of it, a, another f uh, flue that took away the fumes that were created in this niched area. Um, even a, a bellows attachment for being able to create intensively hot fires. Um, the researchers have, to this point, have determined that this is the only one, only extant example of an early 19th century chemical hearth in the United States and possibly the world. Um, they get changed very quickly as technology improves. The only reason this one was saved is because this niche was bricked in in 19, I'm sorry, 1840s when the chemistry laboratory was moved to one of the wings, the south wings of the rotunda, and then when the uh, annex was constructed in 54, 1854, it was moved to there. So they didn't need this, they bricked it up, and that's what saved it through the fires and through the 1976 gutting and so it's very, very important to us. It happens to be in a room that we're, we have designated a visitor space, a visitor reception space, so we're going to be able to preserve it and, and interpret it for visitors. Um, in preparation for the construction work that's going on and, and, and blasting away at the, at the, the, the floor and, and ex, uh, digging down next to it, uh, conservators came in uh, consolidated uh, loose plaster and elements and then protected it uh, thoroughly and we have it now behind a closed door with a vibration monitor next to it. Uh, another thing we had a bit of housekeeping we had to take care of before construction actually started, um, being in the um, east courtyard, knowing that in the east courtyard we're going to be putting in a new underground vault that was going to excavate this entire courtyard, we had uh, a hint of a map from the mid-19th century by Pratt and showing a, his, his typical designation for a cistern. Um, so we had about nine months, nine months before construction started, archaeologists go out, do spot testing. They couldn't find it. Um, we removed the fountain that was there, and sure enough, it was underneath the fountain. 
Um, and it was a cistern that is uh, 12 foot diameter, uh, 16 feet deep, um, and was thoroughly uh, excavated by the archaeologist. The wood element that they found at the bottom, they believe, was at the top uh, for, for holding uh, uh, buckets and, and other things to bring water up. Um, and we all, they also found um, in the wet parging that, that lined the cistern, before it set up, the workmen who constructed it uh, wrote their names in it. And one of the names was familiar to the archaeologists from previous work. They were able to trace it and found out that, indeed, the cisterns dated to 1854, uh, and they were... Uh, uh, required by the Board of Visitors, one of three cisterns built in this area to support the annex that was going to be constructed uh, or finished in 1854. Um, so we have preserved these uh, written uh, uh, sections of the cistern, uh, we'll conserve them, and then uh, show them in the uh, new visitor center. As work began, right after final exercises a year ago, we immediately put in a building monitoring system. This is a system of three lasers uh, outside, one laser inside in the ground level that operate 24-7 and hit over 130 targets that are placed on the building in various locations, even on Pavilion 2. Um, and they, each target gets hit at least once every four minutes. These targets uh, are, are designed to indicate movement either front and back, left and right, and up and down. The reason for putting in this system is that, as, as you remember, only the exterior walls are Jeffersonian. They're our most important historic artifact here in, this, in the rotunda. And the fact that we are putting in underground uh, uh, rooms within the rotunda and next to the tunda, rotunda and putting in under, uh, and underpinning those walls, we had serious intervention that was going to happen to the building. We had to make sure that we weren't going to damage Jefferson's walls. Um, and that's what this system did. It uh, measured the movements. Uh, there is a list of people who got alarms if there was as little as a twelfth of an inch of movement. Uh, an eighth of an inch, a, a real alarm went out, a quarter of an inch, the project was shut down and to discover what the, the, the real movement was. Um, after um, a year and underpinning and uh, putting in underground uh, mechanical rooms, we've had three-eighths of an inch drop on the east side of the building compared to the west side, which the structural engineers indicate is completely normal for the amount of concrete that we have underpinning Jefferson's uh, building and the kind of shrinkage that concrete has. Protection, we put up protection boards to uh, um, make sure we didn't damage the casings that were being retained for the project, protected the floor in the dome room, uh, also exterior, whoops, and then started selective demolition uh, removing steps that are going to be uh, reconfigured, uh, taking out ceilings. All the ceilings are out. Most of our infrastructure is going into the ceilings. Um, so we just cleared them out. 
in the lower east oval room. This is that chemical hearth that is now protected behind the board, um, starting to put uh, underpinning in and taking, and taking the floor out, uh, taking the floor out here in the west oval room. We discovered that the ductwork that was put in uh, under, under the floors in 1976 were wrapped with asbestos paper, uh, building paper, and then concrete poured around that. Um, which, of course, resulted in a change order. We had to, we had to have asbestos abatement people come in to take the concrete out uh, away from the ductwork. Um, utilities. Utilities have been a, a real challenge uh, for the project. Uh, we have most of the uh, central grounds utilities uh, going north, to, to, I'm sorry, east to west across the, uh, the rotunda between the rotunda and University uh, Avenue. Um, and yet our new utilities are going exactly perpendicular to those. Um, the utilities were not where they were shown on maps. Um, many of these utilities go back to the early 20th century and the documentation just isn't strong for that period. Um, we ended up having to redesign our new utilities and having to go deeper as a result. Um, and when we went deeper, we started getting into rock. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of rock excavation. It, is, it, it has been a major uh, uh, change order, uh, significant additional cost for us, um, but it, it had to be done. Um, another interesting uh, uh, facet of this work, discovery of this work, the stormwater lines, new stormwater lines, are going first off below the heritage sycamore trees that we are, that I would be shot if I damaged any of those trees. So we did it by directional bore underground and then an open cut for this last section. We were intending to connect it to a part of the stormwater system that is rather unique. It's a, an 1840s brick tunnel that is about 40 foot long, 9 foot wide, 9.5 foot tall. Um, and it has a, a, an interesting history. It was, it was put there uh, by an engineer at the time um, who, and used as a reservoir for water. There used to be a pond about where uh, the chapel is now. And so water was taken from the pond and put into this underground reservoir, and then a pipe would transfer it but via a uh, steam engine in the basement of the annex to two cisterns at the top of the rotunda. And they fed those cisterns. Those cisterns then uh, provided, um, uh, the, the, the served the uh, plumbing facilities in the building as well as providing a, a, a um, protection from fires. They leaked like sieves and, and after two or three years they were abandoned and the whole system went away. In the meantime that underground brick tunnel became part of the stormwater system so that our new stormwater system had to connect into it. Um, this shows you something of the, the mess that's out there. This is yesterday. Uh, and and it's, it has looked this way for the last year. And <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. Um, but we're putting in more and more pipes and finding things. Uh, this is that area that I'm talking about where the brick tunnel is uh, off uh, northeast of the, 
of the chapel. And this is that tunnel uh, inside. Uh, this is a pipe that took the water from the reservoir and then took it eventually up to the rotunda. At the other end, this is looking from the outside, this is that pipe again. The end wall we were supposed to connect into was far too precarious. Uh, it, it essentially fell in as we were doing construction work around it. Um, so, but the rest of the tunnel is in good shape. We just can't connect to the sides of it. So what we ended up having to do is create an extension to the tunnel that is a new access point. It'll have a manhole, um, and, and these are archaeologists, believe it or not, um, the new archaeology. Uh, they, they're using a suction uh, machine to take away the muck uh, and sediment at the bottom of the tunnel to expose some of the features of that original tunnel um, and how the pipe connected to it. Um, so it's been a fascinating uh, uh, component of the work, but again, another change order. Um, and so what real, the, the real uh, uh, thrust of the work after we got uh, the building after uh, a year ago was doing the underpinning. Uh, this took us the entire summer and most of the fall to do. Uh, there, are, there were as over 80 different underpinning uh, sections. An underpinning section is about four foot wide, um, and it is, it is excavated out beneath the historic brick walls, and it goes down at least 20 to 25 feet, um, and then once it is formed up and ready, it is poured with concrete, then dry packed between it and the existing structure. And then you go at least 12 feet away and do the next one. And eventually you knit all of these sections together. Um, so that's what's going on here. This is inside the East Oval Room that we're taking down also. So all the Jeffersonian walls here had to be underpinned with, uh, with concrete walls also. Um, and in this one picture, there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different uh, underpinning uh, sections uh, either being done or have just been completed. Um, so uh, this, this was, like I said, the primary work going on right at the beginning. Um, with the underpinning, we also then started shoring. We did not have to underpin the wings around the east courtyard, but we drove shoring piles and then uh, concrete needles, soil needles, into uh, the soil underneath of these elements that are then tied to the uh, shoring system. Um, and this is showing uh, one of the, the soil needles, or the, the concrete needles going into the soil, um, this actually I'm is going to show up again, so it might be a reference point. This is the chemical hearth, and this is a way that we preserve the chemical hearth in place without taking out the, um, uh, the, the, the floor and the foundation of it. And so the East Courtyard, um, as I said, once the underpinning was done, then this work was able to, to just uh, go ahead very quickly. Uh, last December, they started uh, the excavations uh, in the East Courtyard. Uh, two months later, they're nearing the bottom of that excavation. You can see here now clearly the underpinning shafts that are underneath Jefferson's brick walls for his, his drum. 
and a uh, month later, starting to form up the concrete walls and structure for the underground mechanical room, uh, pouring the footings uh, a month later, and, and then uh, in late May, uh, I missed a slide. Yeah, I'm sorry. This slide, uh, this shows you early May, we poured the top, the roof of that underground room, and here have a waterproofing it, um, and then putting in protective pads and sand over top of that roof, and now we have our, our, walk, our, our finished working surface. That scaffolding is starting to go up uh, as of yesterday, uh, or two days ago, um, going up to now start to work on the rest of the envelope of that building on that side. We had to do this underground vault first before we could then start to do the work on the upper part of the building. Um, this is an interesting uh, comparison. Both of these pictures are taken from the exact same place. Um, here, last March, before we had the roof on, on, but we were starting to form the walls and the floor of the underground uh, mechanical space. You see the uh, southeast wing above. Uh, and now, yesterday, that roof is on, and this is now the underground space that we'll start to be putting mechanical systems in. Um, similarly, in the East Oval Room, uh, last December, we started to, take, to do the excavations. This is the hearth uh, in the background being protected, uh, and the hearth again, uh, as in February, we started to get to the bottom of those excavations. Again, you can see the concrete underpinning. Um, and then yesterday, this is the top. The slab has been poured in this room, and this is the same view below, uh, showing the entire room that has been created now uh, in the, uh, underneath the east uh, oval room, uh, the chemical hearth again there. Um, Portico Capitals. Uh, this has been a, uh, uh, another side uh, uh, work uh, component to the project. Um, the capitals that McKim, Mead, and White play, put into place, uh, here you see one. Here's one being lifted with a guy very nonchalantly standing beneath it. Um, and, the, uh, and what happened five to six years ago is that we found a couple of pieces of, of sugared marble on the floor of the, of the portico, started looking up and seeing that indeed uh, the, the tips of the cantus leaves and, and uh, volutes were, were falling off. We immediately uh, scaffold the areas, got conservators in to do examinations. They would just go around and touch the ends of these and they would fall off. Um, it turns out that McKimmean White did use a Vermont, a domestic marble for their, their capitals, um, and it just was not as dense as the original capitals that Jefferson used and that you see elsewhere in, on the pavilions in the Academical Village. Um, and it was through freeze-thaw cycles over many, many, many years, uh, starting to disintegrate from the inside out and, and sugar, uh, which is uh, just breaking apart. Uh, we could have spent millions repairing these, putting back the volutes and the acanthus leaves, but there was no guarantee that they, were, they wouldn't continue to disintegrate from the inside out. So at that point, we made a decision to replace them. And 
this is where we had uh, our construction management firm, Whiting Turner. Uh, we hired them to help us during the design phase of the project. And, and one of the advantages of that is that they're doing scheduling, and they were able to identify the Marble Capitals as being a, a very long lead item. item that we had to get started on before we even finished the contract documents for this phase of work. Um, in fact, it's, it's been almost two years ago that they first brought this to our attention. Um, and then that fall, we started interviewing uh, stone companies um, and carvers and investigating marble types all around the world. And after all that thorough research, ended up deciding on using the same marble that Jefferson chose for his original capitals. Uh, Carrera Marble out of Carrera, Italy. Um, and we have uh, Rugo Stone out of Northern Virginia paired up with Pedrini Carvers out of Carrera, Italy uh, to provide the capitals and install them. Um, in preparation for this, uh, for, for Pedrini doing the, uh, uh, this, this carving, we had to, of course, gather all the documentation we had on Jefferson's original capitals. Uh, there had been pieces of them all around the university, some as book weight, I mean paperweight, some people's desks, and we gathered all of them together. Our largest samples were in the Bailey uh, Terrace, um, and so we had, had a conservatory come in, clean those uh, so that we can get a good color match. Um, and then Padrini sent their experts over um, with their uh, uh, 21st century technology of scanning equipment, and they scanned all the elements uh, that we had, the remnants of Jefferson's capitals that we had, uh, and then used uh, in that scan, knitted all those pieces together to create a computer model that was about 80% uh, of the original capital. There are pieces we didn't have, especially the top, the volutes. Um, and for those elements, uh, we went back to uh, pre-fire photographs and luckily found some uh, good ones that show uh, some of the detail up close of these upper volutes and, and the floron and, and, and abacus and, and details of the capitals. Um, we then gave all that information to Pedrini. They started off by doing a quarter section of uh, a capital, um, doing the bottom out of marble and the top that we didn't knew less about out of clay. And then uh, our design team uh, went to Carrera, Italy four times during this process to, uh, to examine the mock-ups, uh, to make suggestions and changes uh, to the clay. And then uh, overnight, the Padrini carvers would make the changes to the clay that they'd asked for. And the next day, they would go and investigate them again. It was a very tedious um, uh, uh, process but we believe we got an excellent, excellent product as a result. Once we had a computer model approved, uh, then it was put on something called a six-arm ro six robotic machine, a CNC machine with a diamond tip that started to take the block, of the 9,000-pound block of marble and started to reduce it to within 10% of the final product, 10 to 5% of the final product. You see what you get at the end is a series of layers of, of um, the carving. Um, and then this took three weeks 
this arm going continuously uh, 24 hours a day for, to do one capital. Um, the next three weeks were spent by hand carvers then uh, finishing those, uh, uh, smoothing off those surfaces, putting in, oops, putting in the crevices, um, and, and, and uh, completing the product. Um, this shows you the block that was started with and, and then the process that it went through and the hand carving. This took, like I said, another three weeks. So it was about a month and a half, six weeks to do one capital. We started by having the 10 capitals of the South Portico done first and to have them uh, shipped over to us uh, uh, together. In the meantime, here uh, at the university, our engineers and, and designers worked on how the heck do you take out marble capitals and replace them with new marble capitals. They created a shoring system um, that uh, is, then holds up the roof of the portico with these needle beams that are uh, put through the brick um, uh, freeze above the uh, uh, India tablature. Um, these needle beams, then the weight was uh, taken from the roof through the needle beams and then through these shoring towers and then uh, lifts raise, slightly raise the roof to take the weight off of the columns. A track system was installed then at the level of the capitals that um, allowed a cart with the new capitals or to take out the old capitals to, uh, to progress or to, to, to access each one of these capitals. Uh, then that cart would come out to a tower where the crane would either take the old capital or bring the new capital in. Um, all this, of course, they're, they're, this, this doesn't come out of graphic standards or anything. This is all custom designed for this system. And this is our cart. Um, it is a hydraulic uh, uh, base to it for turning the wheels and for having lifts to it. Um, it also serves as the structural uh, carrying device uh, but then once it's down, the top structure comes off and it becomes just a cart. Um, here they're taking out the old capitals. Um, and we were fortunate to find that the capitals, we had no idea how they were attached. Um, and it turned out they weren't attached. <laughs> they were just sitting there <laughs> by the grace of God. Um, so that made it easy. Um, and then our new capitals came in, um, and this is last January, uh, where we, we got all the old capitals out and then started to uh, take, put up the new capitals. Um, a comparison between the new Padrini uh, uh, Carrera marble capitals and the McKinney white uh, capitals that are coming out. We also found uh, many design discrepancies between uh, not discrepan discrepancies between the McKinney White and Jefferson's original that we ha we have picked up uh, accurately in the new, such as this is a negative space between the volute and the acanthus leaf. Uh, in the McKinney White, it's just a solid space. There are a number of those kinds of, of differences. Um, and then the, the very exciting uh, time of, of putting in the new capitals, not knowing how this was going to work, uh, it worked beautifully. This is the cart 
um, as being tr uh, pushed along in the tracks to whichever ca uh, uh, column they're going out to. The hydraulic system will turn the wheels and then they'll be able to take it out to it. Then that hydraulic system will lower the uh, capital onto the shaft um, and then they are uh, fixed in place. We do have pins and very elaborate devices uh, pinning the capitals to the existing shafts and to the structure above. Um, uh, just a, a fascinating project. This is a very quick picture uh, before they got boxed in, um, but it gives you uh, just a, a little sense of uh, a, a, a taste of, of what, how beautiful these are going to be when it's done. Um, we did have to put boxes over them because we still have uh, a lot of work to do and we weren't going to take a chance of damaging any of these capitals. Um, another component of the work is the sheet metal, uh, the ornamental sheet metal that I mentioned to you before. Uh, this shows a uh, mock-up that was done uh, after coming from the shop, getting stripped um, and repaired. And it gives you, uh, this is an existing medallion block with the layers and layers and layers of paint. It gives you a, 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 a good comparison of the difference. Uh, as you can see, it's only you know, sheet metal thickness uh, with wood backup and blocking behind it. Um, we are taking these sheets apart at the natural joints that uh, exist um, and then taking them off-site to be uh, stripped, repaired, uh, painted, and then brought back. This is a mock-up at the American Stripping Company's factory um, of all the elements after they've been repaired uh, for us to look at and approve. Um, the North Portico right now is uh, is ready, primed, and ready to go for receiving its new capitals. The capitals, what? Am I already at an hour? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. I, I won't be offended if you leave. Just go ahead. Um, okay. Um, all right. Let me, I'll, I, 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 I don't know where I am in this, so let me just keep going. I'll go faster. Um, it shows the, the McKinley and White Capitals. The, uh, the, the, the shrouds have been taken off of them. Uh, if you can see this clearly, there's a lot of damage in this capital. Um, we are, the, the new capitals, there are six of them on the north portico. They have been shipped. They are, uh, are due to arrive any day in Norfolk. Uh, it presuming it's cut through customs quickly. Uh, we should have them within a week, and we will start to then take out the old capitals and put in the new uh, in about a week and a half to two weeks' time. Um, the North Portico Steps and Mechanical Room uh, on the north side, uh, we, we took off the, the marble steps that were put on by Mikilski in the late 30s. Uh, they've all been numbered, removed, stored, uh, so that we can then get to this underside, which has been leaking terribly. We also took off the lid of the North Mechanical Room so that we can make repairs there. This is yesterday. We now have our lid back on, and we are getting ready to waterproof the bottom of the steps. Um, and you can see the North Mechanical Room is filling up with equipment already. Uh, in the Dome Room, uh, this is last spring, early spring. We had put up a mock-up of the acoustical plaster ceiling that will go back there and replace the 
uh, sheet perforated metal panels that are up there now. This shows the one that uh, one of them that has a, quite a bit of mold on it. Um, and also, we are taking out the uh, capitals of the columns in the dome room. Uh, you can see here now they are uh, cast plaster, um, and uh, and we've taken off the shafts of the the paired columns. The 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 one that we took off has a structural post in it, and that shaft has cracks in it that we had to take off, and, and we're repairing and have put back. As of uh, this week, it is completely filled with scaffolding. Uh, the uh, tradesmen are removing the framework. They've already taken the perforated metal panels off, removing the framework now. You can see the Guastavino tile system that was put on by McKinney and White in the background. That's a fascinating system in itself. Uh, they use the same system at uh, Old Cabell Hall uh, the, for supporting the uh, auditorium uh, seating. Um, and if you ever go to the music library there, you can really appreciate the, the construction. The, a, a, a wonderful book has just recently come out on the Guastavino system. Uh, another lecture. Um, the, dome, the dome room capitals, uh, cast in place, uh, or I'm sorry, cast plaster, um, very flat, a lot of problems, a lot of mistakes in them. We only have photographic documentation of Jefferson's capitals in the dome room, but we know uh, that they were carved out of wood uh, as opposed to plaster. And they had more relief, more detail, and we also picked up a number of stylistic uh, uh, problems, uh, conflicts between the two. So we have made the decision to replace the, the plaster with carved wood. Uh, we have hired a carver in Richmond to do this. He's going to also use a CNC machine to get it down to close enough to uh, then do the rest of it by hand. Uh, we have since, uh, through research, found out that the carver of the original, Studervant, out of Richmond, um, a carver who also did the capitals at Monumental Church in Richmond, you may know, um, and he very much wanted this project. Um, he, 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 uh, and he got it. And then by the end of it, he lost his shirt and was asking for more money. Um, but uh, he did a wonderful job. Um, and this is our process for, uh, like similar to the marble capitals, we do mock-ups uh, out of clay um, that the t entire uh, project team, the university project team evaluates, the architects evaluate. Um, they are now finishing up a computer model of the approved uh, capital that they'll then plug into a CNC machine and start carving. And we'll get a carved uh, element to uh, review. Uh, other exterior work going on, we're putting up the scaffolding, uh, as I said, above the finished underground vault. Um, this will then allow us to get to the upper cornices for those repairs and also to paint the roof, um, which I'll talk more about just shortly. Um, the, at the end of, this is the underground tunnel, uh, I'm sorry, underground mechanical room. There then we will continue the tunnel out to the new elevator that has yet to be excavated. That'll be coming up here in the next year. Um, and, uh, and then construction of the above ground elevator. Uh, but I love that, I'm sorry, no, no, no. 
Love that view of tunnel, main level of the courtyard, and then the upper level of the terrace and the dome room above that. Um, we are taking out the paving off of the, t uh, the wings. All that paving will be taking off. We'll be re-waterproofing, uh, putting in new drainage systems, and then the blue stone paving, uh, uh, a blue stone paving will be put back, uh, mimicking what's there now. And the cryptoporticus, we're getting ready to put utilities in. Those utilities are going to be deeper than the foundations of the walls next to it, so we're having to underpin those walls um, out in the uh, cryptoporticus uh, and, and the colonnade, painted stucco. We're removing that paint. It's lead-based, so we're having to do it as an abatement. Um, and we are going, we've been directed to paint the roof, so that we, uh, when the scaffolding is completed on the east side within the next week or so, that's when we'll be looking for the proper weather conditions to uh, start to paint the roof. It has to be, once again, scrubbed down to untarnished copper um, before we put a primer on it uh, and then a finish coat. It's a Coraflon system by PPG, uh, a 10-year minimum uh, a warranty to it, an epoxy system. Very uh, demanding tolerances for how it can be put on. Uh, it's why we didn't do it the first time. Um, the weather just would not cooperate, so we're... We're uh, keeping our fingers crossed this time. Uh, some of the discoveries we find in, in, in the debris, pieces of the marble bases, uh, in a interstitial space in the basement, we found uh, some of the um, shingles. Uh, this is after the fire, so it's damaged by the fire, but the debris from that fire uh, sifted down to the basement, and uh, these are some of the shingles, the, the, uh, lead-coated shingles that were put on originally by Jefferson on the rotunda, uh, and nails and glassware, uh, belt coursing and sills for windows. This is a uh, wrought iron device for attaching uh, the uh, wood structure la uh, flooring to the brick walls. Um, this was a, a fascinating find. It's now in the men's room um, on the north side of the building, but it's the original north end of Jefferson's Rotunda before all the additions of McKinney and White. Shows you the original penciling, uh, fine brickwork, fine uh, uh, mortar joints. Uh, Jefferson's original uh, brickwork, once it was finished, it had a, a ribbon joint, very uh, difficult to form ribbon joint that, that really kind of frames every brick. It was then washed with a red wash, and then a, all the joints were painted in white, uh, called penciling. Um, and that evidence uh, is here in this area, as well as we knew that the back door of the rotunda had shows on the Maverick plan a uh, stoop and stairs coming down from it. We assumed those stairs were masonry. Indeed, here we found the paint wash and ghost of a wood stair that went down from that back door. Um, we had documentary evidence of there being posts in the uh, lower level east and west oval rooms, um, but we didn't have any physical evidence. When we took out the floor, we sent in the archaeologists, and indeed they found the uh, brick foundations for two posts that went into those rooms, and we think continued up through the main level uh, to hold up the floor of the dome room. Um, 
you can keep in touch with us. We have a webcam. It's mounted on the chimney at Pavilion 2. Um, and then we have a construction blog that uh, goes out uh, uh, announcing or, or bringing you up to date with the construction um, periodically. And I love finishing with this. Um, this uh, we, we had kind of a morbid uh, anniversary until the late 1960s um, of uh, commemorating the fire of the Rotunda by burning a cake. Um, and the, I've, several of these people have been pointed out to me. The only one I remember is Mrs. Uh, Shannon, President Shannon's wife here. Um, and thank you all very much. I'll take questions as long as you want to stick around. What is the fate of the old damaged capitals? The old what? I'm the old damaged capitals that you removed. What's the fate of them? Where are da they going to... Damaged... Capitals. Oh, capitals. The ones that Sorry. we've taken out, 1897. Yeah, yeah that's the, the McKinley and White capitals of 1897. Uh, we're taking those off. They're made of Vermont marble that has just not held up uh, over time. What, what are you going to do with these? Oh, what are we going to do with them? Yeah. Uh, development has them now, and, I th and they are figuring out uh, the best way to make some money off of them. <laughs> quite, quite frankly. <laughs> Um, so get in touch with Amy Yancey, and uh, she, can, she can help you out. <laughs> Bring your checkbook. Can, can you tell us what the original cost estimate for the project was, what the current cost estimate is, and what is the single most significant technical challenge you've run into? Huh, the um, original estimate set 10 years ago when, we had, when it was just a theory of what or we, we knew the bare bones of what we had to do conceptually, uh, was $50.64 million. It is now $58.5 million as a result of the number of changes that we have made, the programmatic changes to the building, uh, as well as the difficulties we found with utilities and rock and, and any number of things. Uh, when we took the ceilings out of the four wings, we discovered that the structure um, for those uh, roof systems, the terraces above, was severely damaged by leaking water over time, and we've had to go in and put about $250,000, $300,000 worth of, of repairs just there. Um, so it's been a number of discoveries. Uh, the discovery period is over, we hope. The, 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 probably the only thing we have left out there not known is that when we start to excavate the elevator in the catering parking area, we're worried about hitting rock there. Um, but that's about the only unknown that we have still out there. Biggest technical challenge. Um, I'd say the, the, the getting, replacing the capitals, uh, the, the, the how to, to get the old capitals out, how to get the new ones in, um, and that has been the, a, a huge challenge and beautifully solved by the engineers and careful thinking and communication. I cannot say enough about this group that we have constructing this project. Whiting Turner is a construction management firm, um, all their subs. The team uh, uh, managing it from our side of it, um, the university side of it, uh, but uh, the, the, the architects, uh, John G. Wade Associates, who specialize in historic restoration preservation work, excellent, excellent team. We're all working together just wonderfully. Uh, so it's been a, an absolute joy to, to do this project. Yes, sir. 
It's a lovely exit line, and I hate to step on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's amazing to me, uh, uh, this is 1970 here, so, so I recall both the, the white interior and the green dome. Uh, uh, and it's amazing how far in 40 years construction uh, care has, has progressed since it was back then. Uh, 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 I want to put in a, a futile protest about the dome being painted, uh, uh, but <laughs> could you give us some sense of whatever you're allowed to say about the reasoning that led to the idea to repaint it? Uh, uh, it strikes me to be, it strikes me as wrong. Uh, 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 copper is meant to, to oxidize and turn green, uh, as is bronze, and, and, and to paint copper is like painting bronze. Well, the, the, quite simply, the reason we're doing it is because the BOV told me to. And it, um, the, the sort of rationale behind it is, besides the fact that most people who graduated, you know, remember it as white, um, but the, some of the rationale behind it is that Jefferson's original dome was covered with his uh, unique shingle, metal shingle, it was a, a lead-coated uh, sheet iron. Um, and the lead, of course, would have corroded to kind of an off-white. Um, so that is the, some of the justification for going to white. Mostly it's because that's how most people know the rotunda, as a white dome. And so that's why, or that's, that's a, a big part of the impetus for, for painting it white. Um, but it, there is some uh, historic... Um, justification that can be made for it. The, we have time uh, for one more question. You're right that though um, the um, through most of its history it's been a copper roof because McKinley and White put on in 1897 uh, the dome, a copper roof. They, we do have documentation. They meant to paint it white then. Um, it just wasn't done. We think for the same reasons that the capitals weren't carved, the university ran out of money and it was left copper, and it patinaed to that lovely green copper. And that's how it was that way until 1976. And that roof was excellent. It, 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 it was in great shape. And we tore it off and put one on in 1976. It started rusting right away. Um, so there's some ironies here. <laughs> I'll, I'll make this quick if this is wrapping up. Uh, the Restoration Ball days, uh, pre, the pre-'76 opening of the Restoration, there were interior stairways. I catered the Restoration Ball for UBA Catering. There were interior stairways from some levels to some levels back when you went from the dome all the way to the main floor. Are they still there, and were they Jeffersonian? Who, who put These those are the in? circular stairs. Um, yes. yes. Interior in the walls. They're still there. Um, McKim, Mead, and White uh, put them in, and we still use them and are going to use them as emergency egress. Um, uh, so they, they, they will stay. And in Jefferson's time, we're not sure. Uh, we have on the south side one of those circular shafts. Um, we have access to it and still the Jeffersonian evidence at the lowest level. And you can see in there the inserts uh, for stair treads uh, in that shaft. So at least one, if not all of them, were used for, for um, uh, uh, access, their access. But um, we also know, too, that the uh, clock that Jefferson had in the South Portico and the weights for it went down those shafts, too. So 
and they may have very well gone down the center of a stair that uh, went up in that shaft. How many books are you going to get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, can uh, I just mention one yes, thing? I want to make a plug for the McKim Mead and White interior. It was really wonderful. Um, there, a, a favorite author of mine, Wendell Berry, uh, when he was here giving a talk not too long ago, he was telling us about how he remembered coming to visit the university before uh, that McKinney and White interior was taken out, and how you would go up the north steps and this grand uh, monumental entrance, entrance, and then go into the building and there be faced with this huge monumental space with tall capitals and how appropriate it was, and to go through that space and then go down the lawn steps and be and, and be be faced with the lawn and go down the south portico and, and go to the lawn. He said it was just an amazing procession. Um, and I believe it. Uh, I, I, so, you know, I, 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 I love the McKinney and White interiors and, and I love what they did to the building. They really enhanced it. Um, so, uh, not to say that they... they Oh, God, I'm getting myself into trouble. But, uh, you know, the, the, the one problem we have now as a result of having a McKinney White exterior and a, and, a, and a Jefferson interior is you come up the north steps from university and you can't go in that door because that is now the north oval room and it's a conference room. So there the interiors and the interior layout doesn't jive with the exterior access to the building. I'll finish there. <laughs> On behalf of Lifetime Learning and